Welcome to Eat, Sleep, Wine, Repeat, a podcast for all you wine lovers who, if you're like me, just cannot get enough of the good stuff. I'm Yanina Doyle, your host, brand ambassador, wine educator, and sommelier. So stick with me as we dive deeper into this ever-evolving, wonderful world of wine. And wherever you are listening to this, cheers to you. Hello to all my wine lovers. Welcome back to another episode. We are about two weeks away from Valentine's Day and of all the wines in the world that get opened up, something with a little bit of bubbles tends to be a favourite. So this episode I'm joined by the amazing chef turned sommelier Sandia Chang who has an impressive CV anyway. Currently is the owner with her chef husband of Bubble Dogs in London. Now Bubble Dogs is a gourmet a hot dog restaurant with grower champagne and a little curtain at the back taking you to a two Michelin star called Kitchen Table. Now, Sandia is incredibly passionate about grower champagne, and it's since 2012, Bulldogs has been around with that 100% grower champagne list. So, who better to talk to us about grower champagne, some stories, flavours, what it is, you're going to hear all about it in a moment. However... Before we do that, I'm going to touch on Grand Marks, the Grand Marks such as Moet and Chandon, for instance, that so many of us are used to when we think about champagne. So you fully do understand the difference between a Grand Mark and Grower Champagne. So the term Grand Mark actually translates to great brand. And to understand a little bit more why there are certain champagne houses using the term Grand Marc, we need to go back a little bit into history. This started back in 1882 as a way to protect the heritage and maintain a prestige to these champagne houses. So originally there were 24 Grand Marcs. Now there's around 100, but the 24 are still super well known. Now I'm going to read them all out and I wonder how many of them you actually know. So here we go. Moet and Chandon, <laughs> obviously. Charles Heinzek, Heinzek and Co. Monopol, Krug, Louis Roderer, Lanson, Pomery, G.H. Mum, Tattinger, Piper Heinzek, Runart, Doran Perrier, Verve Clicquot, Bilcart Samon, Gosset, Paul Roger, Perrier-Jouet, Salon, Joseph Perrier, Mercier, Ayala, Bollinger, Canard, Duchen, and Dutz. Now, how many of them did you know? It's interesting when you think about brands around the world, maybe you can't name many wineries, but yet with champagne houses, these Grand Marks, they have done such incredible marketing that whether you are an enthusiastic, hardcore wine lover or somebody that likes to drink a little bit of champagne around Christmas, you probably are very well aware of the majority of those champagne houses on the list. Now I ask you, how many grower champagnes can you name? Well, if you said zero, I think you'll be siding with the majority here. And that is simply because grower champagne doesn't have the marketing budget like any of the Grand Marks. And also the production is minuscule in comparison. And that's because on average, a grower has around two hectares of vineyards and that's 
it. If you are buying a grower champagne, this is very hands-on production. Think of it very much as farm to table and the wines come from a specific site. So you get that authenticity of place. Now, if you compare that to a Grand Marc, they only own a certain amount of vineyards, maybe 50 hectares, maybe 100 hectares, but not enough for the amount of production that they have to do. So they're constantly buying grapes from the growers. And it's very normal that when you drink your Grand Marc champagne. They are from hundreds of different vineyards and simply with a Grand Marc it has to be consistent year in year out. So maybe you prefer that or maybe you want something specific to site, specific to a winemaker and that you know will be different from year to year. Well whatever you prefer if you happen to have a bottle of champagne just lying around crack it open now we're going to go to the chat with sandia chang and we're going to hear directly from her why she adores grower champagne thank you so much sandia i'm so excited to talk about grower champagne which i hear is something you're a little impartial to yeah thank you for inviting me i love talking about grower champagne so this is perfect oh perfect platform for you just to go and tell us everything okay so do you know what? I'm going to go into a little bit of your history in a second, but seeing as we are talking about Grower Champagne, what is it for you that has hooked you? What is it that you love about Grower Champagne? I, I just think there's so much uh, personal connection to mm-hmm. the person who's actually making the champagne. Mm-hmm. I always tell people this this little story about I grew up in Saudi Arabia where alcohol is illegal. Oh and no, my how fa- terrible my, for you. <laughs> I know. And my father, out of desperation, used to make wine in our bathroom. You know, oh, wow. he would go to the supermarket and, and buy great juice like just normal bottle grape juice this is amazing and like a home kit for wine uh-huh. making and he would just like ferment in the bathroom and I just remember tasting that wine it was so awful which now I <laughs> I think back and I'm like how did I ever get into wine business having tasted that wine but anyways I sometimes I feel like when you disconnect yeah. with the person growing the grapes or making, you know, harvesting and all that. So it's mm-hmm. the, the product isn't just isn't the same. It feels a little bit soulless. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I feel with big houses, not to say they're bad because some big houses are great. It just lacks that little personal connection to the person who's actually growing the grapes. Yeah, I understand. And so in terms of the fact that this is a bit more about a wine with a story, I guess, what is your definition of grower champagne? Um, it is, for me, all about... The person who's there from the beginning to the end. So, mm-hmm. a grower champagne. The person who makes the champagne is also the person who prunes the vines, who you know plows the land and harvests the grapes, all the way till even some people still label the champagne bottles by hand for you. That's pretty special. Yeah, I totally yeah. agree. Now let's go into your journey. You actually started with chefing, right? So it was actually food that maybe took you down this route first. I actually started in front of house management. My okay. degree in university was hotel and restaurant management. Ah. And then after I graduated, I had this, you know, like all early 20s, you know, I don't know what to do with my life moment. Quarter life crisis. Yep. Have <laughs> yeah. And I was like, <laughs> I want to be an artist. I want to express myself. So then I was like, well, I love food and wine. So I was like, well, maybe I'll be a chef. Okay. So I went to culinary school in America, the Culinary mm-hmm. Institute of America mm-hmm. in Napa Valley. Yes. And it was there that I, I learned to become a chef. And also while I was attending night classes, I would go do tastings around, you know, there's plenty of places to taste wine in Napa Valley. Yes, And I learned a lot about wines then, but I was still on this track of becoming a chef. And during that time, I don't know if many of you remember, it was, you know, when The Naked Chef was out, Jamie Oliver was like Uh this, this, you know, famous chef. And then there's like 
you know, Emeril Lagasse and all these like TV chefs and Gordon Ramsay was coming out. And I was like, wow, this is a cool life. And then I, I moved to New York and to chase my dream. <laughs> of being a celebrity TV well, chef? Well, shortly, very, very shortly after I realized that being a chef wasn't that glamorous at all. <laughs> it, was, <laughs> it, was, it was hard work. Uh, the pay wasn't great. The competition uh, was intense. And yeah. especially in New York City, it was, it was just a really, really hard life. And I, and I also realized that to become a great chef, you need to be obsessed with food, obsessed okay. with, with the chef world. And for me, I love restaurants as a whole. I, I love people. I love wines. I love the food. I just love everything about the restaurant business. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, there's no way I could be crazy like that and become a chef. And that's, <laughs> and that's how I, I turned my career around back into um, front of house and, and wines and whatnot. Well, I imagine you did a stint working at Noma in Copenhagen. Their, their wine list must have been pretty incredible. It was. When I was at Noma, it was a very different time. Mm. I, I believe now Noma is much more focused on natural wines. Oh, okay. Uh, back then, the wine list was solely grower champagnes, Rieslings, and Burgundies. Very classic. But the champagne list, I still think now... That was the best champagne list ever in the whole world. Okay. It was so good. And it was solely focused on grower producers. And, and that's really where I, I started learning about grower producers and, and a different world of champagne that I did not know when I was working at Per Se mm -hmm. previously. Where yeah. at Per Se, it was all about the, the big houses. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, the Comte sure. de Champagne, the Salon, the Krugs, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so it was Noma that created this grower champagne excitement within you. It was. And I, I still think now, like, I work very closely with, with the producers in Champagne, and I still get very envious because most of their allocations go to Scandinavia. And I just ah. get so upset. I'm just like, why? <laughs> so that's but, the biggest market for grower champagne? Well, three, three of the biggest markets are Asia, especially mm -hmm. Japan is up there in the top three. Okay. Italy, believe it or not, is, is, is in the top three and Scandinavia. That's fascinating. I mean, I wonder what your opinion is of this. I was looking at some figures. Back in 2010, there was only 2,000 growers making wine, whereas now it's 4,000. We've doubled in 10 years. So do you feel that certainly in England that we're much more receptive? How do we fit in terms of the levels compared to, say, Japan or Italy? Do you know? Um, we're, we're nowhere close to them. <laughs> And I and I I feel it when I'm trying to beg for allocations, you know. Oh, okay. And I, and I go and see their wineries, and I see them, you know, pallets getting ready to shipped off, and I'm like, "Where's England? It's oh. this little tiny pile in the corner." <laughs> Like, okay. Well, you know what? When did I open Bubble Dogs? Like eight years ago mm -hmm. when I opened Bubble Dogs. And I remember it was a struggle. What I did was I based my research on the wine list at Noma. Okay. So I took all the producers that were on there and I came here and I was like, this is what I want to sell. Mm -hmm. And I struggled to find half of the stuff on that list. I mean, nobody was drinking it. Therefore, restaurants weren't stocking it. Therefore, suppliers aren't bringing it in. Mm -hmm. There was no interest all around. Did you find it really hard then at the beginning with Bubble Dogs when people were coming in? Did they know it was grower champagne or were they just saying, oh, Bubble Dogs is hot dogs and champagne. Oh, where's my Moet and Chandon? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was very hard at the beginning. Also, I just think it was the beginning of this whole grower champagne movement mm -hmm. here in England as well. So we did purposely open bubble dogs as a champagne hot dog restaurant because i knew that people not only get intimidated by champagne in general mm -hmm. but also are just not familiar with grower champagne so i thought well how do i get them in the door and it was this time where you know american food was the fad 
in England and I thought nobody will ever be intimidated by a hot dog. There must be someone with a fear of hot dogs, you know? <laughs> yeah, I'm sure there but is. No, no, no. In general, the majority love yeah. a good hot dog. Yes, we do. And, you know, I love champagne mm-hmm. with like charcuterie and cheese yeah. and, you know, just greasy food and, and great, you know, refreshing sparkling wine. Yeah. And I was like, that's how I'm going to get them in the door. And once they're in the door, I have their captive audience and then I can tell them all about this wonderful world of grower champagne where where a majority of it is better value than big brands. Well, absolutely. They're not paying for marketing, are they? I think that's something that people have to understand. Not always, of course, but you are most often getting a better quality product for that price point because they haven't... How much money do you think Moet and Chandon pays? (laughs) I know for a fact that when a small business like ours opened, we got approached by a lot of big brands and they were you know giving out everything they were like we'll build a bar for you we'll supply you a year of free champagne you can sell we'll give you free glasses yeah it was the stuff they were offering was ridiculous and it was so hard to refuse it you know because to build a restaurant everybody knows it costs so much money Mm -hmm. and when people are giving you free things and that's why when you go out to bars you see you know big moe chandon over their ice bucket or Mm -hmm. over their pdr because they put in the money to help this restaurant build a private dining room and you're like i understand because it's free money right (laughs) well well (laughs) done you for resisting now I have a bottle of uh, J.M. Selick that you said that I should come and purchase from your bubble shop. So um, just to let everybody know, we've talked about this incredible bubble dogs. You have created this awesome concept, hot dogs and champagne, grower champagne, but it is no more, right? No, sadly, no. Yeah, the uh, just whole COVID situation um, during the lockdown last year uh, made it really hard for us to survive and reopen. So we decided um, not to strain ourselves and reopen, but to take the time and inspiration and launch our online shop, which is Bubble Shop. So that's exciting. So it is dedicated to grow a champagne so people can come and get it. And of course, they don't have to come and pick up. You can also, it's all, it's online and you can send it out. Mm -hmm. And the good news for anybody who does realize is that kitchen table is going to be expanding so this is your two michelin star restaurant which was the hidden little restaurant with with how many seats like 15 or 20 20 20 seats and now more than 20 people are going to be able to come in and taste these incredible well you have a tasting menu is it still going to be the same when you reopen it is it's a tasting menu and my crazy husband Mm -hmm. james decided actually eight years ago that he was never going to serve the same menu twice so every day the menu never (laughs) So every day the menu changes and it's been like that since we opened in 2012. Well, yeah, if you like a challenge, right? Yeah. <laughs> if you're going to do it. Crazy. You know what I mean now about being a crazy chef? Mm-hmm. Like, I would never be able to do that. Yeah, I love that. You realized I love food, but I don't love it that much. But I do want to marry someone that will still cook for me every day because they love it. Uh, well, <laughs> to the contrary, I, oh. that's a myth. Oh. Chefs do not like to cook on their days off. Okay, actually, that's probably a valid point. You need to, you need to when he's practicing in the kitchen for kitchen table then that's probably a moment when you can steal something a little bit yummy but I always think that that's got to be an amazing partnership you do the wine he does the food if you ever do host a dinner party I'm pretty sure there's lots of people queuing out the door to be invited right (laughs) (laughs) yeah right I am gonna pop open this delicious uh, champagne that you've recommended me now let's see if I can do it nice and quietly let's see if we can (laughs) wait 
Well, <laughs> that, that wasn't quite That's what I was close. going for. That's close. But to be fair, everyone likes a good pop. So yeah. tell me about this. This is the, how would you pronounce it? Solescence. Uh, yes. I'm not great in French. Solescence? Yeah. Let's go with Solescence. I tried taking French a, a couple of years ago just so I could go to Champagne and understand everything. And I, I spent <laughs> most work. of my time, no, I spent most of my time like going through the lessons with one of my friends drinking champagne or wine beforehand so <laughs> you can't remember anything after although no. during that time slightly inebriated I'm sure you feel like you're getting the hang of it have you not found oh yeah speaking I spoke mm-hmm. so much yeah I spoke so much French in class but then the next day I was like I, I know what I said I when I first got into the wine industry I was like no I have to pronounce everything correctly and you know as I was telling you I was a sommelier in several restaurants in London and you feel like my god I've got to pronounce everything correctly but then at some point you realize I still have the knowledge of the wine. I am English and I can't speak Spanish, German, French, Italian. And, you know, so you just put on the best accent that you possibly can and hope for yeah. the best, don't you? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so this wine people can buy for £33. This is actually the cheapest wine on the list, isn't it? Yes. I think price doesn't really judge what you get. Mm-hmm. Um, like you said, a lot of times money goes into paying their marketing department. Absolutely. Um, so we can never judge the wine on the price that you pay for. Sometimes you get some very amazing value wines. And um, when I was doing the BBC Saturday Kitchen, the brief was always to go to supermarkets like Tesco's mm-hmm. and Asda to find wines to pair with the dishes. And, and I found some amazing wines for like under £10. How was your experience on the Saturday Kitchen? Um, Saturday Kitchen, if you're listening, I'm still waiting to be invited to have my... Bit. I've always <laughs> wanted to be an actress. So you can imagine falling into... They haven't found me yet. I'm still waiting. Yeah. But then when I fell into wine, an amazing job would be presenting wine, something like that. It would be fab. So I just thought, wow, what a cool position to be able to talk about those wines. I remember watching Saturday Kitchen and you get to eat all the food that the chefs are cooking as well, don't you? And- you have to actually prepare the food mm. beforehand during the week before the show so you can pick the wines. Supermarkets send you so much samples and you're home like drinking, eating. It's actually a pretty nice job. Yeah. So how comes you're not doing it anymore? Is it just you get a stint? for a little while and then they're like sorry we need somebody yeah, new I think, well when I went on it was kind of a transition when James Martin had left Saturday Kitchen okay. and so they were trying a lot of things out they were trying like rotating presenters mm-hmm. rotating uh, wine presenters and doing VTs and then not doing VTs so they were trying a lot of things. And I think Ollie is now the permanent presenter. Oh, okay. Ollie Smith. Yeah. And mm-hmm. then whenever he can't do it, they have a few sort of backup substitutes, I guess, for him when he's not available. But they don't do the rotating ones anymore. Oh, that's a shame. How, how long were you yeah. doing it for? How many episodes were you on? Um, I think I did maybe five That's episodes. so fun. Yeah, it was so much fun. It really was. Can people Google you and see you talking about your best deals under so. £10? Okay, all right. I think so, yeah. yeah. I found that Little actually has the most amazing wine selection. Now, do you think that? That's interesting. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very, very For interesting. Sure. I have to say, though, actually, in between the last two lockdowns, I was able to have my family round and I thought, oh, there's six of us. I don't want to be getting out my expensive wine that's £20 plus. They're not going to appreciate it. You hide those, right? <laughs> of course. <laughs> 
of course. Yeah. Like, you're not wasting them on you. Yeah. So I went to Lidl's because that's where I do my weekly shop. And I thought, right, do you know what? I'm just going to buy six wines. People who follow me on Instagram will have, have seen. And th- there was a whole selection of wines from a Cremont sparkling to a Syrah from Chile, as an example. And the mm-hmm. Syrah from Chile, I work for a Chilean wine. I'm always in favour of Chile. But it was like £8 a bottle. And it was luscious and concentrated and rich. And the length was really pretty decent. And I was like, if somebody told me that that wine was 13 pounds I think I'd be like "Mm, okay you know it was I was pretty blown away specifically with that wine so that's the last time I've had an experience with Lidl's and I was pleasantly surprised yeah Yeah. well you should drink Yes, okay, getting back to this yummy wine. And I thought you were going to drink with me, but you know, I'm, no, I'm taking I'm one about for the team. to have a baby, Yay! so you, you are going to take it for the team. I am taking one for the team, and I am going to toast to your new little one. Thank to you. Sleepless nights, but to wonderful joy where you look at her face <laughs> and say it's all worth it. So, yeah, 18 years later, I'll say that. <laughs> Here's to the next 18 years. Um, so, for anybody wanting to know about this delicious wine, it's a really quite concentrated on the nose it's not a delicate wine it's got loads and loads of intensity lots of the brioche and toast coming through with some lovely ripe fruits um i haven't actually tasted it yet so i should probably did you ever find that especially with um champagne you just spend too long sticking your nose in the glass and it every everyone else is already like pouring the second yeah. glass you're like oh god i haven't yeah. i haven't even tasted anything yet you know champagne is wine and you're supposed to enjoy it as a wine mm-hmm. and you're supposed to smell it like a wine but i always how can you smell a wine in a flute now funny you say that i was going to ask you about your favorite wine glass for champagne because we know in the industry that a flute yes the bubbles are elongated they'll last longer so that's why it changed from how do they call them the Coop, coop glasses. Coop, coop, yeah. Yeah. When you put it in a lovely white wine glass compared to a champagne glass, absolutely. The nose, the aromatics mm-hmm. come out so much more. And actually, you'll be very happy. I am drinking this in a white wine glass right now. Okay. There you go. So I passed. I have found some flutes, though, that are pretty good. And they are like white wine glasses, but very small. So they kind of have the same larger rim, the opening, but they still give you that kind of, they appear to be a little bit longer. And so you still feel like you're celebrating because I think it's very hard for consumer when you're so used to champagne being seen as a toast and to celebrate it it is this marketing that glass it It makes yeah I think it's very hard for a consumer to go no I put it in a white wine glass it doesn't feel as special yeah, well, we use a glass from Shot Wiesel at Bubble Dogs. Okay. And it's it's kind of a compromise, like you said. It, it's like a, in between a flute and a, and a white wine glass. Mm-hmm. It's their Vigna line. Okay, perfect. It's a Vigna champagne flute uh, from Shot Wiesel. Yeah, and it's great, you know. It's it's for those who aren't quite ready to transition to the white wine glass, but, mm-hmm. you know, it's still, it's still great for tasting champagne. Yeah, okay. Well, what about decanting? Because this is another thing. There are many champagnes that should be decanted. And I think I would imagine that less than 1% of champagnes are decanted because we pour it straight into a glass. I mean, we're too busy. And we drink it too fast. Oh, absolutely. We don't understand how champagne should be drunk, right? Um, I don't know about you for pouring, but I heard, this is a little tip for everybody. The best way, because champagne, of course, people may have noticed, has some bubbles, is to pour a little bit into the decanter and swirl it around. So you're basically coating the glass. 
And then very slowly, like as if you were pouring beer because of the foam, then you pour into the decanter. And because you've lined that glass with a little bit of bubbles, it actually is less foamy. Yes. Yeah. That's okay. True. So you've heard the same thing. Yeah. I, I say that because actually, truthfully, I don't think I've ever decanted a champagne. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the truth comes out now. I know you're supposed to, but I am like everyone else, um, drinking it too fast. Yeah, I mean, that's fair enough. <laughs> it happens and it's delicious. Okay, so this beautiful wine is quite rich and intense on the nose, but the palate mm-hmm. is super, super fresh. With yes. beautiful, beautiful lemon flavours coming through, but it's soft at the same time. But I need to get back to it. Hang on. <laughs> mm. Mm. What I love about it, the concentration is very high, but actually even the body is quite light. It dances. It's got a real yeah. lift, lovely white flowers. It it would be a very lovely spring summer wine. Yes. It's quite pretty. It's a great picnic wine if you ever go to Hampstead Heath. Where I live mm. very close to Hampstead Heath. Mm-hmm. You know, just sitting on the grass in springtime. Yeah, I can imagine. Oh, we just need some sunshine. <laughs> I think that like the, the mousse is, is very, very soft. Oh, yeah, he's uh, Jean-Marc, uh, the producer. He's a big advocate for malolactic fermentation for, for champagne. So all okay. of his wines go through mallow. Um, I think mm-hmm. it gives it that, that extra sort of soft and creaminess yeah. on the palate but it's still super fresh and the acidity is still that sort of bright citrusy kind of acidity so I think he's got a really nice balance going on there I think actually that's such a valid point because with champagne the acidity is very very high for some people it might be too much but because like you're saying there's that added creaminess it just makes it very approachable so yeah. very delicate <laughs> yes it is people always ask me how I find producers like Jean-Marc Select is one of the examples of a young sort of rising star producer of champagne I believe mm-hmm. he's only maybe 30 okay years very old young. Mm-hmm. now um, John Mark is a third generation in his family mm-hmm. and he took over from his father 2008 yeah uh, but he's quite that sort of modern generation he's learned from he worked in Napa Valley he's worked in Australia and he sort of mm. came back and sort of applied the sort of modern approach to champagne that it's not so traditional kind of changed things up a bit he uses stainless steel mostly okay where back then his dad everything was in oak barrels and mm-hmm. You know, just make things a little bit more precise and clean. It is. It's clean, it's fresh. And what I love as well, you do obviously, on the nose, I get more of this richness of the brioche and the toast. But actually, on the palate, it almost finishes with more of like a nougat. Or, do you Mm. pronounce it nougat? Because we can't, because we can't speak French. Yeah, we can. (laughs) Nougat. nougat. As long as we understand each other. Um, But it is, it's this lovely little nougat. And it's not just, I'm realising now, I said lovely, like this beautiful lemons, but there is some stone fruits, there is some apricot. It's it's just, as I think, my summary, it's creamy, it's soft, it's vibrant. And the nose is just very, very rich and lovely. It is is really great. I mean, this is his sort of entry level cuvee. Mm -hmm. This one is a blend of all his vineyards in seven different villages so this is sort of his introduction to his house style okay so i have a question then because jean-marc is a grower mm-hmm. right this is grower champagne however for people who want to know about grower champagne if you look on the back on the label somewhere it will have some letters some initials and that will let yes. you know if it's for a grand mark if it's from the grower and so obviously for anybody who doesn't know if you see the letters r m well here we go the french recoltante manipulant very good yeah, very very good <laughs> do we like that one <laughs> very good so obviously that means it's a grower from the beginning all the way to the end and if you see m 
NM, which is négociante, a manipulant, that is more of the, the grand marks. But interestingly enough, he's using NM on Correct. here. So yes. is he using some grapes? I know for a grower champagne, they have to use 95% of their own grapes. 5% could come from other places. Is he using a certain higher percentage of grapes from anywhere else? He is, but it's his own family. So you know how the ah. French is when it gets divided up when the kids. And the... Oh, gosh, so yes. So he uses his sister's vineyards, but she doesn't make wine. Like she wants nothing to do with the business. So it's official. Unfortunately, he is a grower. It's in the family. He's looking after those vineyards. It's yes. kind of his vineyards, but legally it's not. Correct. Ugh. Yes. It's brilliant, isn't it? You try and tell people who want to understand wine more and you say, right, okay, look out for this on the label. Now you're going to know this. Now you're going to know that. Well, most of the time, RM. <laughs> yeah. If it says RM, it's definitely a grower, but there could be growers that also use NM <laughs> just to make your life they a bit just, harder. They just don't make it easy, does it? Well, no, but now people know anyway that regardless, RM, you definitely are going to get a grower champagne, but you also know now that JM Select. Jean-Marc, who's making these wines, he's a grower. So there we go. We've, we've cleared that up so people can calm down now, okay? <laughs> people were worried. People were concerned. I know. <laughs> so tell me about going to Champagne. I was supposed to go to Champagne this year. Oh, no. So was I. I was buying a train ticket and um, I was getting it through a friend who, who hooks me up a little bit. And the day I went to buy a ticket, he said, did you not hear about the 14-day quarantine? Mm. I said, no, like, I can't do that. I've got a business <laughs> to run. But yes, unfortunately, so we both had our trips cancelled and that would have been the first trip to Champagne for me. I would oh, imagine no. you've... Uh, yes, so I was very excited. I can only imagine from pictures and books. So tell me, tell me about your first trip to Champagne. Did you go and see Grower Champagnes in that first trip or was it more I the, the Grandmarks? Okay, so tell no, me about I um funny enough my first trip to Champagne was only about a month before I opened Bubble Dogs so I had already had the trip. business plan yeah I had the business plan the restaurant was about to open you mm -hmm. know I've got a wine list I've got a cellar full of champagne mm -hmm. and I was like and I had never been to Champagne and my first trip was a whirlwind trip it was four days and we probably visited almost close to 16 producers in those four days Oof. and again people think glamorous oh you're visiting vineyards and trying to do four in a day know, and taste all the wines learn all the information walk around the vineyard see the cellar yeah Oof. yeah I basically went down my wine list and said you know mm -hmm. whoever wants to see me I'm there <laughs> take so, me so who yeah. did you go and see what was the experience that really stays with you from maybe that first trip then well it's just uh, the sort of warmness that you know i have to admit that i always thought champagne was a little bit like bordeaux you know you go there don't want a label <laughs> but people greeted you with like suits and you know rolled okay. out trolleys mm -hmm. caviar no oh that but, would be um, i don't mind <laughs> but they're just real people and, yeah. and what was so surprising for me which i shouldn't have assumed they weren't that they were actually all farmers and they mm -hmm. had grubby hands they got soil under their fingernails you know we love they it. don't dress up they're probably wearing trousers that they've worn for weeks and instead of caviar they're pulling out old sausages from their <laughs> pockets slicing it up for you in the vineyards and it was just yeah. so so real it really made you feel like it is just wine like all mm -hmm. this people putting it on this pedestal that champagne is this really high-end thing and which is you know champagne does take a little bit more effort to make but it is essentially mm -hmm. just wine and the people behind it are farmers and they're vineyard workers and they're just the same as the people who make burgundy and Rieslings from, from from anywhere and i suppose you're talking about grower champagne and you talk about these soil under the fingernails you know it is the land isn't it 
it? This is part of your story, the terroir. That is what I suppose has given Grower Champagne that extra oomph. You know, you really get to taste the land and feel a story when you taste some Grower Champagne. These are vinerons. These are people. They are. Mm -hmm. Yes, they definitely are. And and also one of the most surprising things about Champagne is that the whole environment is very boring there. (laughs) Is it? uh, Well, eight years ago now, there was nowhere to eat. Like Mm -hmm. in between those 16 tastings, we ended up in like McDonald's or like gas stations and supermarkets. There was nothing there. And majority of the region of Champagne is agriculture land, so mm-hmm. it is very flat. It's not like uh, the Rhone Valley or or Mosul or mm-hmm. you know where you get beautiful sceneries and mountains and rocks. And, no, it's just flat, pretty much flat land. Okay, and, and it's quite big as well. I mean, there's the region, the Aube down south, which yeah. is part of Champagne, but it's actually closer to Burgundy. Chablis, no? It is, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's closer mm-hmm. to Chablis, so. In order to drive there from Epernay, which is the most, I guess, the, the other big capital of uh, Champagne, mm-hmm. is about almost an over an hour drive from Epernay to the O. If people don't realise, I think, how vast Champagne is. I think there's 35,000 hectares in Champagne, isn't there? And there's like 300, 300, actually, is it 320 villages? Yeah, about that, yeah. Yeah, that can make Champagne. So it's a hell of a lot more than people realise. But yeah, it's great. Yeah, I mean, now it's completely different. There's great missions our restaurants there there's like loads of things to do the the city is a bit more vibrant and i suppose maybe do you think the growers champagne has something to do with it i mean it's it's interesting to point out with the grand marks they produce about 70 percent of champagne's wines but own about 10 percent of the land right whereas the the grower champagne is about 30 percent but i mean with the fact that that's grown do you think that that people are more interested in finding out about champagne people are visiting more that's helped with the development with restaurants and things do you think yeah i mean the, the Grand Marks, everybody's always known the names. I mean, they've been around mm-hmm. for centuries. Um, so I guess the people who know go for those names. But now there's a whole other market attracting more people to go there, which is the grower champagne yeah. houses. There, there's just a whole another new audience that are now visiting champagne for the grower producers. Yeah, I can imagine. Now, I interesting, I want to know what your thoughts are. Uh, you would have seen just the other day on Instagram, I made a comment about grower champagne because I just picked up this bottle of wine and I said, you know, it's all about the terroir. This is just one statement I made. Josh Dunning, who is very active on Instagram, he, he writes a blog, uh, Word on the Grapevine. He loves to challenge. He loves to dig deep. He loves to really ruffle feathers. Uh, love you, Josh. And he contacted me afterwards and said, I don't think that statement's true. It's not all about the terroir. Probably not with that voice. Grower Champagne <laughs> is so much more about creativity and actually the wine making. Now, I agree with that because Grower Champagne really are playing around a lot more in the winery. They're not there to make consistency year on year out I still stick with my guns with the fact that well terroir actually does include winemaking but I think that was a really interesting point he made we do often talk about terroir 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 for grower champagne but how do you feel in terms of is a grower champagne more about the soil that vineyard site or do you think it is more about what they're doing inside the winery Mm, that is a very tricky question because <laughs> obviously we all know it's, it's about both. Making wine is about both. Mm-hmm. But I think what's most interesting about Grower Champagne is that the terroir does play much more of an influence versus mm-hmm. a Grand Mark because mm-hmm. a Grand Mark wants to sell a very consistent product year sure. in and year out. So when you pick up that Moet 
Imperial, it will taste the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Mm -hmm. But with grower producers, they have more freedom with the terroir. So perhaps, you know, this vintage might not be the same. So it might produce something Mm -hmm. that's completely different than what you bought on the shelf last week. Yeah, for sure. If you got the new release. And therefore, I think they have more freedom to also play in, in the cellar as well in terms of manipulating, you know, changing their dosage, using wild yeast fermentation to change things. And I, it's a tricky question. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're being very diplomatic. It is very, it is both. It is both. And I suppose it depends on each grower as to if they are more about experimenting in the winery or not. I mean, one thing I would say from my opinion of grower champagne, and yours is a hell of a lot more knowledgeable because you're drinking it more regularly, is that they do tend to be lower in dosage. So there's a lot more grower champagnes that are either zero dosage or extra brute. In fact, this actually, this is actually extra brute. And I do find that more grower champagnes tend to play around with oak more, oak usage. What do you think about that? Is that true or is, are they changing that now? I think you're right about the dosage. Mm. I think they just have more freedom. They're not about producing commercial products. So yeah. they want to produce what they like. If it tastes good, that's what they want at the end. Mm-hmm. While commercials is all about what the what the market wants, really. So yeah, they're able to play much more around with dosage. Um, I think in terms of oak, I think in my experience, I think a lot more of them, especially younger generation like Jean Marc here, they're they're using a lot more different uh, vessels. Like mm-hmm. they're using amphora, they're using those. I don't even know what they're called now. The sort of concrete eggs. Yeah, concrete eggs. Yeah, I th- I think that's the direction they're going into okay. now. Okay, but it is so interesting to especially meeting families like Jean-Marc, his family, and mm-hmm. his father is still there, but not really working, but still overlooking his shoulders sometimes, yeah. um, that you can see Jean-Marc getting very excited buying in concrete eggs and blending, you know, a little bit of oak, some reserve, like just having the freedom to do everything that his father probably wouldn't have done. Mm-hmm. His father would have just stuck to how things were yeah. and kept going, you know? I just think it is very exciting. You know, with Grow Champagne, which we've touched on, there is no consistency. It Therefore, it's up to obviously up to the consumer if they like that, but it means it's not boring. So yeah, maybe mm-hmm. one year the vintage will be better than the other. Yeah. With Grow Champagne, it's different every single time. You can actually think about the family, get to know them, their story, as well as discuss the different flavors. So I think it just, for a wine lover, Grow Champagne offers that extra, interesting value yeah much more interesting Mm. okay so what is your favorite food pairings for champagne now you've already mentioned you like a bit of charcuterie i think you said and nice kind of just fattier food is there any other favorites or is there any weird pairings that you've had ultimate ultimate my ultimate ultimate favorite is french fries with champagne just french fries love it yeah or Mm -hmm. you call them chips here (laughs) (laughs) yes chips or french fries it works hot hot salty fries with uh, champagne do you know i love a battered fish and chips so that goes oh you call them french fries (laughs) fish and chips there is something about that again maybe it's the whole concept of your bubble dogs you know you can drink really delicious sparkling wine and it, it could be expensive whatever but with something that's just delicious and considered maybe an everyday dish, there is something that uh, that kind of feels it's the opposite and it, yeah, and it works I really mean, well. I always say there's a formula that never fails, you know, drink what you love and eat what you love with people that you love. And that those three perfect things together, you're bound to have a great time. There's just no way that could ever fail. Yeah, no, I agree. Have you had any quirky, weird food pairings that have worked quite well? I mean, I find champagne, because of the high acidity, it kind of works with a lot of stuff. But has there been any surprises throughout your time? 
we uh, experiment a lot in kitchen table because obviously we have to do a lot of mm -hmm. wine matchings there. We often decant, which the first time was on purpose. It was mm -hmm. uh, decanted and left in the decanter because the, the guest, previous guest didn't finish it. Uh-huh. But I Our used favorite a, guests. <laughs> I know. And I used the leftover um, champagne and decanter for one of our regular guests that comes in and just to have him taste it with uh, one of James's uh, like truffle pasta dish. Okay. And, it, he, and he said oh, it was almost like drinking like an old burgundy, but obviously it was just a tiny little like effervescence in there. And mm. it was just the most amazing thing because it still cuts that richness, but you're mm -hmm. drinking almost like an old white burgundy. Yeah, well, the with truffle, truffles. yeah, that earthiness. And, of course, with the nuts and the yeah. brioche and the kind of cream you can get with champagne. And then I thought, well, if that champagne would have been fresh and, like, super sparkling, I don't think that would have had the same effect on, on matching. Yeah, so this is also something that people can play around with. Obviously, the point of champagne is bubbles, but it's also a wine experience. And so to have a wine where the bubbles maybe start diminishing is not actually also a bad thing, just to kind of see if you can play around with it. Yeah. And, the, and the temperature as well. Mm -hmm. The temperature needs to be warmer. Yeah, what temperature would you recommend in general? I would say about, I like it around like cellar temperature, around 12 degrees, mm -hmm. but that might be stretching it for people. So I would say about like nine <laughs> degrees would be good. So if you have it in the fridge, I would take it out maybe like 10 minutes before you serve mm -hmm. it. Yeah. Um, so it's not ice cold. Well, I have had this champagne out now for, interesting enough, I've had it out for an hour and 10 minutes and I just poured a second glass. Oops, you know, this is this glass is for you. The first glass was for me. So the <laughs> second glass. And it is a perfect temperature. So there, so that might scare people a little bit thinking leaving a bottle out for an hour. But I would highly recommend that. And also even with white burgundies and things like that. When I was a sommelier, I used to say, I'll bring you an ice bucket if you want. But actually, I think you might find you don't need it. Um, yeah. And this is when my, my chef experience comes in because I know when you make an ice cream, when you're making that creme anglaise, the, the sort of custard base for your ice mm -hmm. cream, you always make it a lot sweeter than what you actually want the ice cream to taste like because when it's, it's frozen and ice cold, you don't taste the sweetness the as flavor. much. Mm -hmm. So you lose a lot of flavor when it's super, super cold. And it's the same that applies to wine, I think. Yeah, no, I think you're very, very right with that. Now, I want to finish off just with some of perhaps the grower champagnes on your list that you must have a few favorites or yes. maybe, no, 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 no. I changed that because <laughs> that's not fair. They're all your favorites, just like, like children. It. There's never any favorites done. Is there a few that have some really interesting stories that people would want to try just because the story so fab? I think that's that would be nice for people to know. Um, well, there's a producer called Olivier Oreo. Um, which okay. is based down in the O. Uh -huh. And the reason why his wines are so interesting is because his specific terroir, which is Le Risse, is it's just so interesting and so different from the rest of Champagne. It is almost Burgundy country or Chablis. Yeah, Le Risse is actually the most furthest south. Le yeah, it's almost like no man's land. Nobody goes there. Nobody knows that <laughs> Champagne is produced there. But because the, the terroir is very similar to Chablis, so all that sort of mm -hmm. chalky Kivarigian soil. However, their best grapes that they produce is Pinot Noir. But a Pinot mm -hmm. Noir that's so strange in a good way, so different than all Pinot Noirs, that he makes some amazing wines. He does a sort of a plot called uh, En Barmont. And mm -hmm. he makes three wines out of it. He makes a rosé champagne. He makes a, a white uh, Blanc de Noir. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And he also makes a still red wine from it. Ah, okay. The same yep. grape. And you're able to taste like the same grape from the same place in different styles of wine. That is fantastic to really see terroir <laughs> compared to winemaking techniques, mm-hmm, I yeah. suppose. Going back to the argument we had earlier. Okay, yeah, amazing. So he, he's one of my, yeah, one of my favorites. I can say that. <laughs> but there's, you know, there's loads on there. Uh, Emmanuel Brochet is uh is great is your own prevot from uh, la closerie mm, prevot yeah it, yeah, it yeah. is so good i did a, a blind tasting not too long ago with noble rot on uh-huh. champagne versus english sparkling wine ah how did that go uh it really goes and uh, it's just the result is out in the october issue from 2020 mm-hmm. yeah you can go back and get previous ones i think mm-hmm. but it came out as a tie i like which is not right I don't like it when things are tied. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you know what? I think as an English wine lover, that the English sparkling wines that are coming out of this country are incredible now. And, you know, yes, champagne has always been incredible and will continue to be incredible. But of course, there are some wines in both countries that aren't so good. And it depends. And I think actually, I think we really are making wines in England that are rivaling champagne. So I'm all for a tie. I think that actually is where we are right now. Champagne has the... Um, maybe more of the expertise and it has the history and it has that symbol of prestige because of everything that it's done but I think I think it's having its time it is definitely now it's just a struggle for a restaurant like for a restaurant business to list English wines on the list next to champagne Mm -hmm. and the price being almost the same if not more well, I think that is probably similar to grower champagne, isn't yeah. it? So it's not about the product. It's about the, the consumer's perception of what they're going to get for the price they pay. Yeah. It's our jobs, I guess, as sommeliers to convince people. Yeah. But going back to that blind tasting story, oh, yes. um, there were some sneaky uh, entry-level grand marks in there. And uh, <laughs> they didn't tell us the result until the issue came out. And uh-huh. they posted every judge's top score. Uh-huh. I was just dreading. I was like, what no. Was- what, Why, your... what, if, what if I gave like you know to a good mark like, yeah like loosely closed yellow label not that like it's bad but, but you didn't no um, my top score was Jerome Prevost La Closerie the Le Brun there we go that makes sense I was like thank god <laughs> I know what I'm talking about. This is where the value is. Oh. That was definitely my favorite out of them. I think we tasted 21 different mm. sparkling wines and that, mm-hmm. that was my favorite. And maybe it's just what my palate is used to. And, and I, I remember somebody on the panel being sort of anti-grower champagne and didn't, oh, really? appre- and didn't appreciate the fact that grower champagnes can fluctuate so much. Mm. That he just couldn't get his head around, like, judging something that's not consistent all the time. (laughs) But you're not going to mention names. No. I was like, but, you know, we shouldn't really be judging. We really should just be enjoying, like, either whether or not it's good or not. And it it could be different tomorrow, you know? The same wine, you might not Mm. like it tomorrow, but that's okay. And you can't (laughs) judge it as being a a crap wine, because maybe tomorrow you'll like it again. Well, that's, I suppose, the point of the blind tasting. I'd like to have seen his score on that grower champagne, (laughs) but, um, yeah, maybe we can't see. Um, thank you so much just for kind of giving a little bit of a overview of Grower Champagne a few of your not favourites just um, some interesting stories you know I think if anybody knows about Grower Champagne they've probably heard of my first experience with Grower Champagne with a Jacques Celos who oh so was mine oh really Which one? 
Um, it was the initial. Um, I was a substance. Okay, so this was yeah, my initial, the the blanc de blanc. That's interesting. So we both had that experience of top top. Well, it would have been his sons again. Am I pronouncing his name right? Anselm, Anselm, Anselm. Shh. Anselm. <laughs> yeah, okay, yes, yes, we're doing it. Yeah. But Anselm has been making those wines since the eighties, hasn't he? And I mean, he's just done incredible things. And I would say the whole grower movement probably has come from the Jaxalos wines. So yes. I mean, so many other producers like uh, Jerome Prevost worked not under him, but almost, you know, did his stage mm-hmm. um, with, with Ensemble. There's so many people that's gone through his cellars and learned from him that's now have their own labels. So, yeah, it's that knock-on effect and again, the expertise to take it on for themselves. And it's good for people to find out those winemakers because we can't all afford the wines of Jacques Salos, can we? No. No. <laughs> Unfortunately, <laughs> the price of Jacques Salos is up there. And his son is making wine now. Ah. Some Guillaume Salos is now producing two cuvées of, of uh, champagne okay. from his dad's cellar. Mm. Um, but they are like at cost for us. It's about 200 for a bottle for us oh, to gosh. buy. At cost, and yeah. At cost. And imagine mm. selling it onto the consumer. Yeah. But it's like you said, it's interesting to watch generations after generations and what they learn and what they've done themselves. And- well, all I can say is we can't all afford the Jacques Salos, but this specific wine that I'm tasting now from you at £33, I just think this is a stunning wine. I think I've tasted £50. 60 pound Grand Marks that had the same concentration, same kind of flavors. So it is definitely a great value wine. Yeah. Well stocked. <laughs> Thank, <laughs> you. <laughs> Thank you. We have, we also have like producers on our list that, you know, used to be winemakers for Krug and Bollinger. You oh, know, amazing. They, they have their own labels and it is almost a quarter of the price of what you would pay for the big brand names. You know? But obviously they're making wines for themselves now. So you can just only assume that it's going to be better than what they're making for somebody else. Hmm. So a grower champagne is a story that people should investigate and get to know a few names. And And the best way to learn is to drink, right? Yes, it is, which is convenient because that's what I do a lot. (laughs) (laughs) We do actually have the best job ever. (laughs) We do. Well, as long as we don't tell people about the really, really boring stuff, um, which we already talked about before. So we'll leave it there. Um, Sandia, good luck with your pregnancy. And, you you know, enjoy those small, tiny sips when you can. And thank you so much for joining. And everybody... It's nearly Valentine's Day, so go and get your loved one. If you love somebody. Yes. <laughs> Make sure There's you've pressure. got <laughs> no pressure at all. Make sure you get something nice and fizzy, preferably a grower of champagne. Now you know a little bit more about it. So thank you so much, Sandia. It's awesome You're talking to you. My pleasure. And um, we'll talk very soon. Okay. See you. Okay. Bye. Bye. So for those of you in the mood for some grower champagne, if you are in the UK, you can go to Sandia's bubble shop. Just go to bubbledogs.co.uk and perhaps you might want to try the same one that I have. Now, if you are planning on treating the one you love, by the way, that includes yourself, ladies and gentlemen, if you are planning on treating the one you love to a bottle of grower champagne, you obviously are going to need to pair it perfectly. Good news. Champagne has such beautiful acidity. It actually goes with so many foods. It cuts through the fat, so it's perfect with cheeses. It cuts through the fatty meats. It's obviously very very cleansing. So there's loads of different options you've got. But for me, I do have a few favourite pairings with specific different styles or sweetness levels. So I figured I will share
share them with you. Maybe you want to try them. Maybe you want to let me know what your favorites are. So if I was going with just a standard Brut, and remember Brut sparkling wine can have anything between zero to 12 grams of residual sugar per liter, but this is a very standard dry bottle of sparkling wine. I would have it with something like fried chicken or deep fried calamari. I already mentioned earlier in the podcast, fish and chips. I just love that. The oiliness, the greasiness, and it just cuts through and cleans everything up for me. If you were going to go with a blanc de blanc, that's your white of white in translation. So that's just white grape varieties. And in champagne, that will be Chardonnay. This is perfect with just a seafood platter. Imagine oysters and scallops, all shellfish. These lighter fishes just sing with a blanc de blanc. Now, then if I was going to go blanc de noir, that is a white of black. So what that basically means is your wine looks white, but it's made from black varieties. So that's going to be either Pinot Noir, Pinot Meunier, or a mix of the two. Now, whereas the Blanc de Blanc is quite citrusy, quite linear, quite direct, a Blanc de Noir is a bit more structured and rounder, and more of those red fruits and even spices and herbs will come through. So, you want to think about slightly darker meats and richer foods. I love it with duck or even some aged Comte, if we're talking cheeses, a little bit spicier foods go very nicely. Now, with a rosé, your pink champagne. This is amazing with sushi, really good with crab cakes, things like smoked salmon, prosciutto. What about vintage? If you're going with an aged vintage, so it starts getting a bit more honeyed, maybe a bit more smoky, these tertiary flavours are coming out of the champagne. So pair it with some smoked meat, smoked duck, smoked salmon, something like a truffle mushroom risotto would be perfect. And then if you've got something with extra sweetness, so demi-sec is the one to go for if you're thinking about desserts. Demi-sec will have at least 32 grams of residual sugar per litre, up to 50 grams. And that's perfect with an afternoon tea, perhaps, which is just ideal for Valentine's Day, I might add, or even some little fruit tarts. All of that will be simply divine. So if you are celebrating San Valentin this year with some champagne, let me know. Are you going to go grow a champagne? Are you inspired or are you going to stick with a favourite brand? Well, I tell you about one of the most famous people in the world who loved Grand Marc champagne, and that was Winston Churchill, Britain's Prime Minister during World War II. And he has many quotes on champagne, so it was very easy for me to find some quotes. In fact, I'm going to give you two today because, well because I can. (laughs) So, during World War II, he said, remember, gentlemen, it's not just France we are fighting for, it's champagne. (laughs) And um, for him, it was certainly a wartime necessity. And one of the other very famous champagne quotes he has said is, in victory, I deserve it. In defeat, I need it. I could not agree more. So I raise a glass of champagne to you all this week. May you have a fruitful, energetic and bubbly week. Thank you as always for listening. If you haven't subscribed, please do so now. Share it, like it, comment, all the usual. You're probably getting bored of me reminding you, but apparently I need to do it. (laughs) Don't forget, 
there is the link to the transcript in the show notes should that be useful to you as well go across to patreon.com slash eat sleep wine repeat where you can join the team and have exclusive podcasts just for you and also choose what content and what subjects i talk about so do come across and see us over there may you have a fantastic valentine's day whatever you do and until next time cheers to you